Welcome to the Idaho Debates. Tonight, a look at the candidates for Lieutenant Governor. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hello and welcome to the Idaho Debates at the Idaho Public Television Studios in Boise. This is the fourth and final debate we're hosting before the November 8th general election. Tonight, the candidates for Lieutenant Governor take the stage to ask for your vote. The Lieutenant Governor presides over the Idaho State Senate and breaks ties if necessary. They also fill in when the Governor is incapacitated or otherwise unable to serve. And if the Governor steps down or is permanently unable to serve for whatever reason, the Lieutenant Governor takes over the office. I want to welcome the candidates, Terry Pickens-Manweiler and Scott Bedke. Terry Pickens-Manweiler is a trial lawyer and a founding partner of Pickens Law. She is a former public defender in Nez Perce County and is a recipient of the Denise O'Donnell Day Pro Bono Award. Scott Bedke has served five terms as the Speaker of the Idaho House of Representatives. He was first elected to the House in 2002. Speaker Bedke is also the former president of the Idaho Cattle Association. I also want to introduce our panel of reporters who will ask the candidates questions tonight. Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press and Ryan Soupy of the Idaho Statesman. I'm Melissa Davlin, host of Idaho Reports here on Idaho Public Television. I'm moderating tonight's debate. Helping us keep time is Eleanor Chahey, volunteer timekeeper from the League of Women Voters Education Fund. Each candidate will be given 90 seconds for opening comments and 60 seconds for closing statements. Candidates will also have 90 seconds to answer questions and 60 seconds for follow-ups and rebuttals. I will allow some back and forth if I think the conversation is productive and educational for voters while trying to make sure each candidate gets about equal time. We flipped a coin to see who would go first and Miss Pickens-Manweiler, you have that honor. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Terry Pickens-Manweiler and I'm running to be Idaho's next Lieutenant Governor. Thank you to the Idaho Public Television, Melissa Davlin, the League of Women Voters, our panelists, and Mr. Bedke. Um, I'd also like to thank my family for going on this campaign journey with me, so thank you, Mark, Maya, and Parker. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a business owner. I'm a 25-year trial attorney. I'm a gun owner. I'm an Idahoan. I've had the unique experience in living in three corners of this state. I was born and raised in eastern Idaho, Pocatello, I uh, went to law school and practiced in North Idaho, Moscow and Lewiston, and I've been in the Treasure Valley for the past 20 years. I know firsthand the issues that face the people across this state. I understand our differences culturally, demographically, and geographically. But I also understand our similarities and the values that unite us as Idahoans. One message I have heard as I've traveled across this state please stop the chaos at the Capitol. I'm running to restore balance and to stop the growing extremism in this state. So we can focus on the issues that actually matter to Idahoans, supporting and funding public education, preserving and protecting our precious public lands, providing property tax relief, ensuring safe and updated infrastructure, and fundamental freedoms and rights to all people, not just a few. If you elect me as your next Lieutenant Governor, I will work every single day for the next four years to restore integrity, courage, and leadership to that office. Thank you. Thank you so much. Speaker Bedke. Well, thank you, Melissa, and thank you to Idaho Public Television. 
I'm Scott Bedke. My wife Sarah and I have been married for 42 years. We have four children and 14 grandchildren, all that live here in the state of Idaho. We are fourth generation cattle ranchers from Oakley. In fact, we ranch in the same area that my great-grandfather homesteaded in the, eight, in the 1870s. We all know that Idaho is the best place to live, to work, and to raise a family. We are the fastest growing state in the nation. Others want what we have. That's because we've always had the lightest possible touch of government. We've always lived within the taxpayer's means. We delivered record tax cuts that have led to a very positive business climate. All of this is, has enabled us to be able to put record investments back into our infrastructure systems and into our education systems. A positive business climate has to have a quality education component. That, in fact, that's what it's all about. It's about connecting Idaho kids with Idaho jobs. This is the Idaho way. You know, that's a term we all throw around a little bit, but here's what it means to me. It means dignity and respect for every Idaho citizen. It means waving as you pass someone on a rural Idaho road. It means letting someone in when they're trying to merge in heavy traffic. Idaho has been discovered and there's no going back. We can't let all of this new growth change who we are. That's my commitment to you as your next Lieutenant Governor. That's why I'm running for Lieutenant Governor and I'm asking for your vote a week from Tuesday. Thank you so much. Our first question comes from Ryan Soupy. Uh, the first question goes to Ms. Pickens-Manweiler. <clears throat> You're an attorney and a small business owner, but have never held public office. You were also a longtime Republican. Why are you seeking <clears throat> office now as a Democrat, and why start with the lieutenant governor's seat? Thanks, Ryan. It's a great question. Um, all things true, yes. I was a lifelong Republican. In 2016, something changed. The, the party started to change. And after 2020, I knew that I could no longer be part of a party that, one, was challenging democracy and couldn't accept the election results, and two, was steering further and further away from issues that I held dear. Um, I chose the lieutenant governor's race um, because the, the present occupant of the lieutenant governor's office has um, really created a situation in Idaho where we are looked at nationally as less than. You know, it's the office has been disrespected. I think the office has been abused. And I chose the lieutenant governor's race because of everything. I think I can restore balance to that office. I'm a 25-year trial lawyer, yes, but I'm also a certified mediator. And one of the things that we need to do in Idaho is include diversity of thought when people are sitting at the table. And the executive branch um, has been held by a Republican for you know the past 30 some years. And it's time that there is some balance in the, in the executive branch, particularly with the Lieutenant Governor's office. Um, I can go in there with my values and my views and I can provide that diversity of thought. I can be the balance in the room. I can be that other voice that hasn't been heard in this state for a great many years. And I do intend to bring that voice to the uh, office, and I do plan to bring my mediation skills to make sure everyone gets a seat at the table. Uh, to you, Speaker Bedke, you've spent 11 terms in the House and been Speaker since 2012. In that time, you've seen legislators come and go and bills pass and fail. The Lieutenant Governor does not draft legislation. They do not caucus, and the person in that position rarely votes on legislation. Why do you want this job? 
Well, as your next lieutenant governor, I will do what I've always done, and that will be to solve problems. I have, if I've been successful as the Speaker of the House, it's because I've tackled some of the hard issues. Just to name a few, I was asked to mediate the uh, longstanding water dispute in the, in, in the Magic Valley on the Eastern Snake Plain Aquifer. I was able to do that successfully because I knew, know the issue, I know the players, I was able to bring them all into the same room, as it were, and to hammer out an agreement that holds to this day, including through the last two dry years. Uh, being the speaker is all about working with the people that are sent from all around the state. The legislature is full of every area's first choice to represent them in Boise. So it's not one of, as a, so the speakership is not one of putting your desires over the top of the legislature. It's about bringing them together, having them to work in committees, bringing, fleshing out the ideas, and then bringing them, them forward, and then seeing if they get a vote up or down. That's what we've done. The uh, moving to the executive branch will be a will be a challenge. We'll be able to put into action all of the things that we've done for the last 10 years. We have done a lot of good things here for the state of Idaho. We've got a very positive business climate. We've been discovered. We're going to have some growing pains. I believe that my experience in the legislature will help uh, the state of Idaho in in my capacity as lieutenant governor. Next question is from Betsy Russell, Mr. Speaker. More than any other statewide office, the lieutenant governor has been able to shape his or her own role. For example, Brad Little focused <coughs> on transportation and economic development. Current lieutenant governor Janice McGeehan has held education indoctrination hearings. If elected, what will your priorities be in office? Well, I think the number one thing we need to do as a state is to drought-proof our state. We live in the arid west, where, the, as was said, we're the fastest growing state in the nation. And we're, and we're not entitled to any more water from Mother Nature. So it's gonna be incumbent upon us to stretch that water that we have to conserve it, but, and then to honor the, the water rights that the state has uh, granted through the years. That will be, that will be a challenge. I, that, I, I bring passion to that issue because that's where I live, that's what I do. I believe that there's going to be some other things, however, incident to the quick growth that Idaho has experienced. There's going to be more competition for every gallon of water. There's going to be more competition for every lane mile. There's going to be competition for every desk in every school. And I think that, that we've got to face the realities and, uh, and, and address these issues incident to growth. We're starting to not pass school bonds around the state. I think that that's going to be an area where we're going to have to concentrate. If we're not going to build schools with uh, property tax dollars, then we're going to have to build them with other dollars because the legislature is duty bound by the Constitution to provide a, a general uniform thorough system of free schools. And that includes a safe school. A, a follow up, Mr. Speaker. Lieutenant Governor is widely considered to be a springboard to the office of governor. Do you want to be governor someday? We'll cross all of those bridges when we come to it. What you can expect from me is what you've always seen. I worked, with, worked well with four different governors and closely with the last two. I, we have a, a collaborative working relationship. I don't, think, I don't expect that to change 
uh, when I become the lieutenant governor. I, you know, it's, there's, it's said that, you know, in the, in the room there needs to be diversity of opinion. That's from someone that has never been in the room. There is diversity of opinion, and widely so. And uh, I, as you know, Betsy, am not a shrinking violet, but, I, but once the decision is made, I understand the difference between the number one and the number two. And so you, what you can expect from me is a return of, of dignity to the office. You can expect me working with the, with the governor to accomplish our mutual goals. Ms. Pickens, Man Myler, the same question. If elected, what will be your priorities in the office of lieutenant governor, an office in which you, past occupants have taken, had fairly wide latitude in helping shape their own priorities? There are two priorities that I'd really like to address as your next lieutenant governor. The first one is to restore reproductive freedom to this state. That is a, an issue that has been long important to me. It has been something I have fought decades for. And to live in a state where my daughter does not have the fundamental protections and freedoms that I've had my whole life is a real big challenge for me. And I do plan on addressing it, whether or not if it's working through with the legislature or if it's creating a ballot initiative that can be put through. But I do plan to focus my efforts on restoring reproductive freedom to the state. The second thing I'm going to do is address the rise of extremism in this state. And we can do it a couple of different ways in the Lieutenant Governor's office. Um, you know, my opponent has been in the House for 20 years. He's been the Speaker for a decade. And in that time, um, he's failed to rein in the extremism growing in his own party in his own House caucus. And what I plan to do as the next Lieutenant Governor is make sure that when legislation is brought, because I'm going to be a liaison from the executive branch through the president of the Senate, um, that I will make sure that legislation that is uh, proposed has some backing in reality, truth, and science, that it's not fantasy and fiction, that it's based in reality. So those are the two things I'd really like to address in my time as lieutenant governor. And with, uh, with the things that are going on right now in Idaho, we need a lieutenant governor who can stand up to those on the opposite side and say enough is enough. Do you want to be governor someday? That, I'll be honest, Betsy, I've never thought about being governor. When I chose the office of lieutenant governor, it was because of the president, or the present occupant of the office. I, uh, I made that decision to run for lieutenant governor because of the damage that has been done to the integrity of this office. And that is my goal is to restore the integrity of this office. And we'll touch on more of those issues later in the debate. But in the meantime, the next question is from Ryan Supi. Ms. Pickens-Manweiler, <clears throat> if you faced a situation in which you disagreed with the governor, such as you do on abortion with the current governor who's running for re-election, would you seek to undermine his position? Thanks for the question. Um, no, I would not undermine the present governor um, if we have different political views. The whole point of running and being that opposing voice in the room is to offer um, other perspective. It is really important, and I've learned as a trial attorney, you know, you can put on your case, you can, you can tell your side of the story, but there's always a second side to the story. There are ramifications, there are things that, you know, could go wrong, like is going wrong right now in our state with reproductive health care and women not being able to access healthcare that could save their life. I would talk with the governor, statesmanlike, with respect, and I would afford him or her the respect and dignity that they deserve. And, and that's how I plan to do it. I do it every day in court. I'm, I'm used to bringing people together. And what I really want to do with the Lieutenant Governor's office is provide the perspective 
that there is another side. And because we've shifted so far to the right in this state, they're, he they're literally hearing the information in their thought bubble. They're not hearing the bigger picture of what Idahoans want. And I plan to provide that information while I'm sitting at the table with the governor. And just a quick follow-up for you, Ms. Pickett-Spanweiler. Yes. Who do you support for governor and why? So that's a great question. Um, I think that each of the candidates for governor, I actually don't know of two of them. I know there are five, I think. Um, the the three that I'm aware of, each and each and every one of them has some challenges that I have. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned with the present governor who has signed legislation that he knows to be clearly unconstitutional. Um, I, I, I don't know Mr. Height very well, um, and, and so I don't have enough information to, to make that decision today. I can tell you who I am not going to vote for for the governor, and that's Ammon Bundy. Because again, the reason that I am running for this office is to restore balance, respect, and dignity to the office. Um, he's, he, he holds views that I don't believe are what the rest of Idaho feels, and so I can tell you who I'm not voting for. Speaker Bedke, similar question. I'm voting for Brad Little. <laughs> <laughs> Though you've been closely allied with Governor Little, you've also disagreed with him, including on pandemic emergency powers and <clears throat> whether le the legislature should be able to call itself into session. How would you handle those disagreements as Lieutenant Governor? Well, I'll handle them like I did uh, as the Speaker. I went and I sat down with uh, the Governor. I you know, I, I walked through the concerns that I was hearing from the, the various legislators and we talked it, we talked it through. Uh, he explained things that, that I didn't, that I was not aware of and I believe that maybe I did the same. That's how it, that's how it works. Uh, we, we talked it over and we, and he weighed the, weighed the evidence and then he had to make a decision. I believe that, uh, I mean, we were in, a, in uncharted territory during the pandemic. No one knew how bad it was going to be or, or, or what to expect. And so there was some erring on the side of caution, I believe, uh, uh, to begin with. I, you know, I, I imagine you have the letter that I wrote to him in front of you. And uh, my concerns then were that let's do this together. I mean, this, th we're on a, in uncharted territory. The precedents that we set here during this pandemic will be the ones that we live with down the road. And those were my concerns. Uh, that letter also said that I supported his, his ultimate decision and we would work together in whatever capacity that, uh, whatever that took. Uh, he ultimately called us back into session and uh, you, you all know the results of that. And a quick follow-up. Um, if Governor Little weren't to win uh, next month, Mm -hmm. uh, would you seek to undermine the position of a governor who was not from your political party or you, did, or you didn't agree with? No, in, in, uh, in my profession, we have a concept called writing for the brand. And uh, the people will have spoken, they will have chosen their governor, they will have chosen their lieutenant governor, and then it's incumbent upon us to fulfill the responsibilities of those respective offices. You know, I, I have that it, regardless of who wins the governorship, that's not going to change the the results and the experience that I've had uh, in my years in the in the House of Representatives. I think that that those results, my experience there will be uh, useful to any governor and maybe more for some than others, actually. But it uh, 
but I'll, I will do my job as an Idahoan and as the lieutenant governor. It will never be to undermine. That is counterproductive. If I've heard one thing on the campaign trail, it is for heaven's sakes, don't embarrass the state as a lieutenant governor. Next question is from Betsy Russell. Mr. Speaker, several pieces of anti-abortion legislation <coughs> that you supported in the House are now being challenged in the Idaho Supreme Court and one bill, the abortion ban, was subject to a partial injunction from a federal judge with regard to hospital emergency rooms. You and Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder, using taxpayer funds, are seeking to overturn that injunction. Why? And why do you feel that that trigger law, banning almost all abortions with no exception for the health of the mother, is the right policy for Idaho? Well, I disagree that the exceptions for their life for the mother uh, is not in there because it's, I believe it's the that health it is. of the mother that's not in okay. there. Okay. Well, I believe that. Well, let's let's back up. Okay. I have a clear track record of being pro-life. I'm unapologetic about that. I, I am against elective abortion, but I'm a father, I'm a, a grandfather, and I understand that in certain narrow circumstances there have got to be some exceptions. And I've supported those. That I believe that, the, that, that that view is widely held in the legislature, and that is the view that was tried to be captured in the, in the uh, legislation that we talked about. Now, uh, as the presiding officers of the House and the Senate, then we're expected to defend the work of the legislature. And so that's what you saw us do. Uh, it, I think it's impossible uh, in the Idaho Constitution, in the privacy uh, articles, to find a right for abortion. And I believe that that's worth defending in the Idaho Supreme Court. I believe that uh, uh, in a similar way with the uh, federal legislation, that that needs to be defended as well. Just because we take federal dollars does not mean that we have to adhere to the federal policies. And I believe that that's exactly what the federal uh, law said. Why is it appropriate for the legislature to spend millions of taxpayer dollars on legal fights in court when the Idaho Attorney General's office already is charged with defending the laws of the state against court challenges? Well, again, as the presiding officers, we do what the majority of the House or the Senate wants to do. In this case, we wanted, uh, we wanted to defend our, our work product. That's what we did. That's our prerogative as an equal but separate branch of the government. And uh, so we'll see what the court says. Ms. Pickens, ma'am, your campaign has called the abortion legislation that Speaker Begke voted for, quote, cruel and inhumane. What do you think should be the policy of the state of Idaho on abortion and why? And what role should the lieutenant governor have on this issue when the lieutenant governor doesn't vote on legislation except to break a tie in the Senate? Uh, great questions, Betsy. I can tell you, first and foremost, you can't claim to be pro-life when you're actively opposing a lawsuit that's sole purpose is to protect the health of pregnant women. And the abortion law in Idaho that is being challenged by the Department of Justice, which my opponent didn't answer the question, by the way. He answered about the Supreme Court case. The Department of Justice's sole purpose in that lawsuit is to preserve and protect the health and life of the mother should they go into the emergency room to seek medical care. My opponent is actively fighting a lawsuit to make sure that that law stays in place. Now, what I'm hearing is, as a legislator, um, you make that policy based on what the people want, not what the legislators want. 
80% of the people in Idaho expect and want to have abortion available in some situations. I am fine with there being exceptions. Um, viability, Roe versus Wade was great precedent. Roe versus Wade had a standard followed up by Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It was very clear what doctors could and couldn't do. It is very clear how legislators could legislate or not. We're now in a void because of the United States Supreme Court decision. And what I would like to see, I would like to see all three abortion bans, the, the two criminal bans and the one civil ban, completely repealed. Now, because a good portion of the state of Idaho supports abortion care, I would suggest that a ballot initiative will be quite successful in Idaho. And as, again, Lieutenant Governor, <clears throat> I will certainly use my negotiating skills with the legislators. But if I have to take this to the people, I will. So you're advocating a return to the Roe standard? The Planned Parenthood versus Casey standard is a little bit more narrow and a little bit more nuanced. Um, and I, don't, I won't bore the followers and the people watching with legal precedent, but at the end of the day, a doctor needs to know what he's supposed to can or can't do. And today in Idaho, doctors do not know what they can provide. They don't know if they can you know, protect the woman if she's just gonna be sick if she's gonna die, and then at what point is she gonna die? My opponent makes reference to exceptions. I think that is disingenuous <clears throat> to call it exceptions. They are affirmative defenses, meaning if a doctor provides abortion care in Idaho, he will be charged with a felony. There are exceptions to the rule called affirmative defenses means he's already been charged. He's already got to defend himself in court. These affirmative defenses can be used as a possibility of not being prosecuted and found guilty. So it's disingenuous to say doctors won't be criminalized and women won't be criminalized in this state. Speaker Petke, I'd like to give you 30 seconds to respond. Well, uh, I oppose abortion and uh, except in the rare cases of rape, incest, and when the life of the mother is in jeopardy. I believe that doctors and health care givers should be allowed to do their job in the areas of miscarriage management and uh, in fertility questions like that. I, uh, and, I, uh, and I believe that that was the intention of the bills that, that you're talking about is no elective abortions but with these exceptions and let a doctor be a doctor. 30 seconds. Thank you. I do have a follow-up to that. Um, to call it miscarriage man mismanagement and to call it, you know, issues with pregnancy, those are not in the statute. Doctors absolutely do not know. My opponent mm -hmm. would like to suggest that there are exceptions written into this draconian law. There are not. When women go in to get medical care, they cannot get abortion care in Idaho. And if the life of the mother is at risk right now, the doctors in the hospitals don't know what they can provide. If I may, just a quick follow-up to Speaker Begke. You said that you oppose abortion except in cases of rape or incest or the life of the mother. What about the health of the mother? That's the issue in the federal case. And I'll well, give you 30 seconds and then we do need to move on. Well, under a competent doctor's care, they have to make that judgment, and I will be deferential to that doctor. I don't, and I think that the, the, the law didn't uh, pre- you know, didn't predetermine second-guessing the doctor. It talks about competent care, et cetera. You know, the, the beauty of this it, it, the is that the court is going to decide. And if, there are, and if there are the vagaries that are described here in the law, 
I believe that most Idahoans are against abortion except in the rare cases that we've talked about. And, and if the court finds that it is vague, then the beauty of our system is that the legislature can come back and fill in the holes. We do need to move on. The next question is from Ryan. Uh, this question is for both candidates. Um, Current Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan recently gave her former administrative assistant a pay raise that will account for almost 40% of the Lieutenant Governor's annual office budget. As a result, you could quickly face an office, uh, sh a budget shortfall. How would you handle the situation? And we'll start with Ms. Pickens-Manlaw. Thank you. Yes, I've been following very closely the budget of the Lieutenant Governor's office because, you know, when I'm Lieutenant Governor, it's going to matter. Because I do have goals and aspirations to have staff members <coughs> on staff that can um, help me uh, commit to do what I want to do for this state. Um, it is challenging to know you're going into a budget shortfall. I think the good news is, is that we do have the opportunity to go before the legislature in January and ask if they'll make some modifications under the circumstance. Because in this particular case, whoever is elected lieutenant governor is going to face the same problem going into that office. That the present lieutenant governor has mismanaged her budget, has um, given political favors to friends, and is using the present budget of the lieutenant governor's office inappropriately. Speaker same question. Well, in my other life, I'm a cattle rancher, so we'll get by. We'll, we will do what we have to do. Uh, as, uh, as was said, uh, there'll be a, the chance to get a supplemental budget for that office. If the legislature chooses, then, uh, then so be it. If they don't, then, then we'll make it work until the, the next fiscal year that starts the following June or July 1. That's not going to be an obstacle here. That's not going to stop me from putting uh, the miles in that we've been always putting in. It's not going to stop me from uh, being an active lieutenant governor and being out um, uh, around the state, bringing the concerns and the interests back to uh, the cabinet meetings and taking them up. Uh, we, will, we will make it work. Next question is from Betsy Russell. Idaho is seeing a rise in extremism and divisive political <coughs> rhetoric. Recent public opinion surveys, including a 2021 survey from the Frank Church Institute at Boise State, show 20% of respondents believe violence is justified if they don't think their government is acting in their best interest. Speaker Begke, you have said repeatedly that you don't want to wake up in 10 years and wonder where our Idaho went. Are you concerned that perhaps we're getting there already? We have rising intolerance, book banning, violent attacks against the LGBT community, and groups actively working to undermine our institutions through disinformation campaigns. How did we get here with you at the helm of the Idaho House of Representatives? And how would electing you as Lieutenant Governor affect these trends? Well, let's, let's be clear. I oppose extremism on either side of the political uh, pole. It, it is absolutely non-productive and it's antithetical to our system of government. Uh, you know, to think that a that the speaker can single-handedly put a stop to everything that that he or she doesn't like is uh, to be a one-term speaker. They trust me with the powers of the office, but they did not trust me to uh, to be a heavy hand. Again, every part of the state sends their first choice to represent their interest in in Boise. Now, I do not support 
any of the extremism that is out there. I don't support the picketing at people's homes. Uh, I don't support, uh, you know, that there always being a rancorous discussion. Uh, I have, I don't support the pushing through the doors at the Capitol and the and the demonstrations that were happened there because I was right there when it happened. That's not what we're all about. We're better than that here in Idaho. That's not what has made Idaho a great state, and uh, and I believe that the silent majority. At, uh, around the state will will begin to reward those that are here to make a difference and not those that are here just to make a statement it's a big difference if you don't if you don't feel like you have to work with anybody then you're just making a statement but if you're going to change something you've got to go get 36 votes in the house 18 votes in the senate and the governor's kind of got to think it's a good idea as well miss pickens van weiler You've been speaking out against extremism and have said that if elected, you want to have a staffer designated to research bills that are based on disinformation and spread the word about them. How could you afford to do that within the lieutenant governor's budget, and why do you believe that would be an effective approach? I actually do think it's going to be an easy thing to do, have a research assistant. I absolutely am open to using interns. I don't suspect there's going to be a problem getting people who want to help and participate in this very important democratic process. The, um, the budget of the Lieutenant Governor's Office does have full-time employees available, and rather than just sitting and answering phones, which is what I believe is happening right now, that person can also be doing research and determining whether or not bills are based on information or whether they're based on fiction. And I'm going to use the example of House Bill 666, the librarian bill, the jail librarian bill. We talk about rise of extremism in this state. It's very important for us to re recognize and realize that the person that is responsible for what legislation hits the House floor is the Speaker of the House, my opponent. House Bill 666 was brought before the House for a full vote, and it was argued very publicly. Now, that's a bill that would jail librarians for loaning out books that some standard in some legislators mind was to be too offensive <clears throat> so that having the opportunity to be heard and argued on the floor of the house gave that argument legitimacy even though there is none to it so then what you saw you saw librarians being attacked in bonner's ferry one had to quit her job because she feared for her safety one in meridian the trustees in meridian had the same problem men showing up people showing up armed to to scare them because House Bill 666 was given a vote and passed the House. Speaker Bedke, would you like 30 seconds to respond? Uh, it passed the House without my support. Let's make that known. Uh, here's what I, so the principles that guide me on this subject are, are three. Our children uh, are our most precious resource. We have to protect them, and we do in every other venue. We have rating systems for our, our movies, our video games, our music, etc. And so I don't think that, you know, I don't expect that when my grandkids go to a public library that the questionable material is readily available to a minor. Uh, there's a library board. My time is up. So. I'll give you 30 seconds and then we have to move on. Thank you. I, I just, I do want to recognize that um, when you give something legitimacy by letting it hit the House floor, 
that is doing something. That is supporting it. Now, whether or not my opponent was on a bathroom <coughs> break and didn't vote, his vote was absent. It's not that he didn't support it. It's that he didn't vote on it. But he knows as well as anybody in this room and watching statewide that he could have killed that bill because that's exactly what happened in the Senate. Next question is from Ryan. Speaker Bedke, much of your campaign has targeted decisions made by the federal government and President Biden. How can a lieutenant governor in Idaho alter what the federal government does? Well, we can band with other states. You know, I've, I've gone up and down the state, and, and the, the concerns that every person brings to me are based in the failed Democrat uh, policies that, that we all live under. We have record inflation. Everything that we touch costs more than it did just a couple of years ago, whether it's gasoline or groceries. Uh, there's a concern that our, that, our, that our country is no longer energy independent. There's, there's great concern about the rise in drugs and the, and the crime associated with drugs, particularly of fentanyl in our communities with our open border policies. None, these are not good policies for Idaho. And, uh, you know, so that those are, unfortunately, those federal policies affect us dramatically here. A sheriff uh, here in the valley said that we're all border states now uh, because there's really no difference between the, the amount of drug trafficking that is happening here as is happening right next to the border. It's that serious, folks. I, I, I appreciated being appointed to the Esto Perpetua Working Group that is that has had multiple meetings around the state. We've had we've had town hall meetings talking about this very uh, this very topic. Every finger points back to the open border policies. Ms. Pickens Manweiler, um, what is your view of President Biden and his administration? And same question to you: What's the Lieutenant Governor's <coughs> role when addressing the impact of federal policies in Idaho? Well, I should feel really important because, according to my opponent, he is running against President Biden. Um, you know, that's pretty much what he's been saying for the last year. I've been in this race for a year and three months, and he's not once said anything about my policies. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say, with the exception of reproductive health care, that my policies aren't so far off from his because we're Idahoans. And in Idaho, um, we like the feds to stay out of our business. Um, you know, but I'm not running against someone in Washington, D.C. I'm running against uh, the Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke. Um, I'd like to talk about some of the things that he says are a problem coming from the uh, federal government. Uh, he talks about, you know, our law enforcement and crime. Well, there's only one person standing up here that literally voted to defund police, and that's my opponent with uh, House Bill 389. He defunded municipalities, he bootstrapped them in their budgeting, <laughs> so the people that actually lost their jobs were police officers. So we talk about crime. Another thing is that my opponent has routinely blocked funding for mental health. We know that one of the best ways to solve a drug problem is to get to the root of the problem, and most often, it's mental illness. And so when we start to look at the root cause of crime, rather than just blame it on everyone else and not take responsibility for what role you've had in it, um, I think then that's what you say, I don't want to become a one-term speaker. Speaker Betke, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond. Well, it may take a little longer than that. Uh, to twist House Bill 389 into defunding police is absurd. It, that uh, was about property taxes and limits on, on local governments, and to string that into uh, firing police officers is 
a humongous stretch. Uh, let's compare, I mean, the contrast between uh, the Democrat policies and the Republican policies have never been more stark. In Idaho, we've always backed the blue. Can you imagine if it were Democrat dominated here? Would we? Ask yourself that. We always back the Second Amendment. We always empower parents in education choices. Would we? If, we, if, if the Democrats were in charge. Those are the questions that I think all Idahoans should be asking themselves. Uh, we are successful at, in Idaho because we've always backed the blue, we always protect your Second Amendment rights, we always empower parents in education decisions, etc. Okay. okay, Ms. Pickensman, why Yeah, I would like to respond. House Bill 389 did have a result. And this was uh, why that the sheriff's offices, the county <laughs> officials, all testified in front of the speaker and said, please don't pass this bill, it will hurt our budgets. And you know who suffered? The Nampa Police Department when they had to lay off law enforcement. So I didn't make that up and it's not ridiculous. I'll tell you what is ridiculous is suggesting that the policies in Washington govern everything that happens in Idaho. We have been a 30-year supermajority GOP in Idaho. The policies that are failing in Idaho are because of the GOP policies in Idaho. And we have policies that make Idaho the envy of every state. People want to move here because of what we've created here. And, and, and speaking of moving here, the next question on growth is from Betsy Russell. Ms. Pickens, Ma'am Wiley. For the fifth straight year, Idaho was number one in the nation for growth between 2020 and 2021 according to a U.S. Census report. Idahoans are seeing massive growth and change that's impacting the quality of life for longtime residents. What is Idaho's role or your role as a potential lieutenant governor in ensuring the state can keep up with the growth that it continues to see? Yeah, well, unlike my opponent, I'm not pining for the past. I'm actually planning for the future. And what I would like to see in Idaho, and I can do it through the lieutenant governor's office, is be the liaison, like I said, to the legislature. Because there are a whole host of things that we can be doing to plan for growth. There is no question that Idaho is growing at a rapid pace. The question is, is in the 20 years that my opponent's been in office, has he properly planned for what's coming the next 20 years? And the answer is no. Every time a transportation or infrastructure bill comes before him, he finds a way to kill it. I'll use an example, and this is astonishing. I just learned this. Did you know that Idaho is the only state in the country that bans, literally bans, carpool lanes? Probably because somebody many years ago thought, well, if California has carpool lanes, we got to do something against them. Well, for whatever reason. But in 2021, the, the Idaho Senate unanimously said, we're going to do away with this rule because this is like a cost-free way to ease on our infrastructure and ease traffic. And that vote never hit the vote, the floor for a vote because my opponent kept killing that bill and sending it back. So now, even with a unanimous vote in the Senate, it couldn't even get a vote on the House floor. Now my opponent wants, he had the gavel in the House. The Senate, the more moderating voice in this state in the legislative branch unanimously said, go do this. And Mr. Speaker's House absolutely would not. So now in Idaho, no carpool lanes. We can't ease infrastructure for zero dollars. Speaker Begke, you have discussed working to ensure that growth pays for itself. Tell us what you mean by that. And also, did you kill the carpool lanes bill? <laughs> no, no on the carpool lanes. Uh, and I, you know, we could look it up, but I'm sure that, uh, I don't know if it got a hearing in the, in the committee uh, or, or what the circumstance was there. What was the other part? 
how to ensure that growth oh. pays for itself. Mm. But before right. we well, move on, I tell mean, us what do you let's think talk about, about this? If, well, if growth, if if I improve my property on my side of the line, and that raises Ms. Uh, Manweiler's property taxes, then my growth was sh uh, the cost for that was shared by both of us. So, I mean, it's an easy concept that growth should pay for growth. Not, let's coin a phrase here, legacy citizens. All this growth is, is also coming back and it is being paid for by those that were here before. I don't know that that's overly fair. I think more, I think Idahoans expect there to be cost of living increases in their taxes, et cetera. But when your property taxes have doubled in the last five years, you could make a strong case that growth is not paying for itself. So I, I believe that the revenues from growth more easily accrue at the state level and not in the local units of government. And then the, then the legislature has been collectively pretty stingy with sending those monies back to the local units of government, and maybe that needs to change. We, we, we need to have that discussion. I've never been one uh, to stifle any of those types of discussions or uh, carpool lanes either. So that, that's what it needs to happen is what we're doing worked in the past. If it's not going to work in the future, we have got we owe it to ourselves and to the citizens to find something that does work. And I think it's a basic concept of fairness that growth should pay for itself. We do need to move on. The next question is from Ryan. Sticking with growth, Idaho is seeing increased pressure on public lands. Does the lieutenant governor have a role in land management? If so, how will you work with federal, tribal, and county partners to manage those assets? And we'll start with Ms. Pickens Manweiler. Thank you. Yes, the lieutenant governor does have a role. You know, I won't have a vote on the land board, but I'll have a seat at the table. The Idaho land board makes the decisions as to how we should manage and whether or not to sell off our public lands. Um, you know, we're sitting in a point in Idaho where the speaker of the house, um, when a couple of billionaires rolled into town, he rolled out the red carpet for them and allowed them to literally close off 172,000 acres of public land. That's not going to happen on my watch. That's not going to happen as I'm the lieutenant governor. I have spent too many years of my life, 50, recreating, camping, hunting, fishing all over this state. And the one thing that we can't get back when it's gone, public lands. You know, ask that to the people who recently went up to try to get on some public lands through the 172,000 acres only to find armed guards blocking the road. You know, this is something that people need to know is happening, and it's happening under my opponent's watch. In fact, he just authorized and approved 250,000 taxpayer dollars to appraise the federal lands in this state, which tells me, and the message is loud and clear, that he's ready to roll out the red carpet for others as well. That's, uh, that's a twisting of what is really going on. Uh, I protect and I'm committed to protecting all of our property rights. And just because a property owner owns 172,000 acres, that person is due uh, equal protection under the law, the same as you or I am. Let's correct another thing. I do not support selling off our public lands, period. Now, the state of Idaho manages 2 million acres of interchangeable land with the federal government, and we get excellent biological results off of, off of our trust lands. It doesn't matter how you want to measure uh, land performance, whether it's forest health, range health, whatever you want to use, 
our land management model works. The good news is it's scalable and can be used on the adjacent federal land. Uh, we, are, we are not doing it properly. The federal government is not managing the land properly. We, our whole system of building schools in the north was based on Forest Service funds, and now we can't cut trees and they, and they can't pass bonds to build schools. And so, to, because they haven't lived up to their agreement under the payment in lieu of taxes or the PILP payments or the Forest Service funds. Now, I'm all in favor of collecting that and getting our fair share because if we're going to build schools and fix roads based on property taxes, the, the largest uh, property owner in the state is not paying its fair share. Speaking of schools, the next question is from Betsy, and I'll ask reporters to keep questions short as we're nearing the end of the show. Okay. Both of you have talked about the importance of funding schools and providing a quality education. What specifically needs improvement, and what can the lieutenant governor do to accomplish that? Um, let's start with Speaker Benke. Well, I, in my, in my time, I have I've been served on the education committee. I know what the issues are. I, some of the major changes uh, that have happened, happened uh, with bills that I carried and sponsored. I carried the education budgets for years. Uh, what I believe needs to happen is, as, is though a paradigm shift. The whole reason we have an education system in Idaho is so that we can connect an Idaho kid with a good Idaho job. And we, need to, and we need to examine where we're making investments and, and is that syncing up to, that, to accomplish that goal. All, are all of our kids well prepared to go on after high school, whether it's a certificated program, a trade school, community college, or, or a university. So we, that it, when that becomes our goal and when we fund based on that metric, then will it, it things will possibly improve but we cannot overlook the literacy programs our kids have got to leave third grade reading at grade level we've got you know i have 14 grandkids i want them to get a high quality education here in the state of idaho like we did and uh, those are the things that will be our challenge as we go forward and if we're going to lean heavily on supplemental levies that are levied against property tax to do the extra things in a school district, and I believe it's time that we reevaluate that. The legislature took a huge step in the special session of committing another $410 million back to our schools and in-demand careers, and I think that that will bear right. fruit down the road. Ms. Pickens, ma'am, Myler, same question. What needs fixing in education, and what can the lieutenant governor do about it? Okay, first, I think we need to recognize that for 20 years, Mr. Speaker has been in the House of Representatives, and in that entire time, the legislature run by the GOP supermajority has completely starved education. So while I appreciate that the special session increased the budget this year, that is thanks to Reclaim Idaho and 100,000 Idahoans who forced Mr. Speaker's hand. They forced him and the executive branch to bring up a measure to fund education. Otherwise, it was going to be on the ballot with us. And uh, I would like to say that um, Article 9, Section 1 of the Idaho Constitution is the reason that we fund public education. The founders of this state made it very clear that this was of the utmost importance that it made it into our Constitution. What we need to do is not pass more bonds and levies putting burden on taxpayers when you have a $1.9 billion 
surplus of unpaid debt to our schools. You know, we have a situation in Idaho where we are dead last in per pupil funding. That means our teachers are making less. We need to pay them more. We need to pay them what they're worth. We need to have better programs for our kids. We need to have paraprofessionals and programs in our schools. We need to pay off all of those bonds and levies so we're not bootstrapping our districts, our school districts. These are easily done with a surplus funds that they refuse to allocate to education. Now we also need higher education funding. We need to make sure that um, we've got pre-K funding in all, all day kindergarten. These are the things that are going to make our kids successful. Just relying on the test scores alone is not enough. We need to look at the buildings that they're in and are they safe and are our teachers satisfied. Next question is from Ryan Soupy. I'll be brief. Next month, there will be a constitutional amendment on the ballot allowing the legislature to call themselves back into session. session sorry. Speaker Bedke, you voted for that bill. Why should the legislature have that power? I voted for that uh, resolution that puts it on the ballot so that you can vote for it. Uh, my position was clear in the caucus meetings and in the other meetings, the informal conversations, is that on the easy stuff, the, the, and my position was this, so on the easy stuff, the governor's going to call us into special session anyway. And so if in the absence of that being called in, then that means that there is a difference of opinion between the legislature and the governor. And so I advocated for a higher threshold. If we're going to go into special session and incur the costs that that, 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 uh, that, that costs, then we need to go in with a 67% with a uh, majority when you go in. Otherwise, you're just going to go in and, and uh, arguably grandstand because you don't have if you're at cross purposes with the with the executive branch then you're not going to get it over the line you're not going to override a veto and uh, and I believe that if we're going to go in uh, to a special session then I think you ought to go in pre, uh, with enough votes to win now let's clear up a few things this is not about making Idaho have a full-time legislature this is not about it's not about that. There was no one that supports that. Now, uh, so this is an important question. I think all Idahoans should decide whether or not we're going to amend our Constitution. That's why I supported it, was to put it in front of you, Ryan, so that you could vote whether or not you thought it was a good idea or not. Ms. Pickens-Manweller, do you support the amendment? Why, I why not? Thank you. I absolutely do not support the amendment, and I urge everybody watching tonight to vote no. And here's the reason. Idaho has had this system of government in place since its inception, 130 some years. Now let's talk about that. In 130 <clears throat> years, it didn't need fixed, but all of a sudden now it does. And that's because we've seen the far right shift in the House and the legislature. And what they want to do is undo the balance of power. We're, we're a three branch of government in this state, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judiciary. And when you have a legislature who's trying to usurp the powers of the executive branch, which is exactly what this constitutional amendment does, it's bad for the people of Idaho, and I urge them all to vote no. We uh, have let me correct, or let me clarify one thing. There's 27 states in the United States that where the legislature is able to call themselves into session. There's not 27 craters where those states used to be. There's not an imbalance of power in those states. I mean, this, but, but this is big medicine. It's a, certainly a change from where we are, and it, this is something that the people need to decide. Ms. Pickens-Manweiler, I'll give you 15 seconds to respond, and then it's time for closing statements. Um, 
No, I, I, I do disagree. When it was written into the Constitution, you can either believe it's in the Constitution and you say that the right of privacy is not in there. I say that the legislature calling themselves into session is not in there. Let's not fix it if it isn't broke. All right. It is now time for closing statements. As a reminder to candidates, you have 60 seconds. And Ms. Pickens-Manweiler, we will start with you. Thank you. Idaho is experiencing unprecedented growth. Unlike my opponent, who pines for the past instead of planning for the future, I know what Idahoans want to preserve. Whether you're born and raised here like me, or if you're new to this state, we all want the same things. We want to be good neighbors. We want to be respected, and we want to respect each other. We value our public schools. We value and support our communities. We wave, we smile, and we welcome everyone. We value our fundamental right to privacy and liberty. We value the Second Amendment. We don't want government overreach telling us what we can read, who we can love and marry, and one that dictates our healthcare decisions. We love freedom. Idaho is changing, we cannot deny that. And my opponent sat back in the house with his gavel and stayed silent while the minority of extremists became the loudest voice in the legislature. And he thinks that's earned him the gavel in the Senate. It has not. I'm Terry Pickens-Manweiler. It's time for positive, thoughtful change in Idaho. I ask for your vote November 8th. Thank you so much. Speaker Bedke. As I said earlier, as I travel the state of Idaho, people will come up to me and they, and they talk about their concerns about the state. Number one, they're concerned about inflation. Everything, like we said earlier, everything they touch is costing way more than they think that it should, and it's based on uh, the inflation. We're concerned about our open borders and the, the drug, particularly the fentanyl problem, that that is introduced into every community statewide. So never has the contrast between Democrat policies and Republican policies been so stark. In Idaho, we do it the right way. Thanks to Idaho's hardworking families and small businesses, along with consistent conservative, dare I say Republican leadership, we've created the, a state that is the fastest growing in the nation. Everybody wants what we have here. So we can't let all of this new growth change who we are. That's my commitment to you as the next Lieutenant Governor. That's why I'm running and I'm asking for your vote on November 8th. Thank you so much to our candidates for their time tonight and to the reporters for their great questions and our viewers at home for watching. If you missed any of our other debates, you can find them online at IdahoPTV.org debates. Remember, the general election is November 8th. If you haven't already, you can register to vote at the polls. For more information, go to VoteIdaho.gov. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.